0: All right, it's good to be back. It's been a while. Right. <laughs> more more than a few, uh, but it's good. We're, we're here together, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, this morning, we're going to be back in Genesis. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 12, uh, picking up in verse 9. Uh, but again, we're in Genesis, the study of God and man. And the title of today's message is, Abram went down to Egypt. Abram went down to Egypt. I wanted to title it verse 9, so Abram journeyed, but... As I got into it, I realized that's too nice of a of a title (laughs) for what we're about to see today. But it says Abram went down to Egypt and we're looking at the relationships of God and people and specifically God and Abram and how he's setting up a nation for himself to uh, bring the Messiah eventually into the world. But we last time we saw that he was called out from his family, his friends, his country, his father, We looked at the patriarchal society, the father's rule, especially in the Middle East that even continues today. But God had called him from everything he knew and loved, everything that was familiar. Again, we have to imagine never being anywhere else other than your own country and traveling around your own country and now being called to go somewhere you don't even know, not bring anything that you've been dependent on, not have your friends with you, your family with you, but to go out there. Um, We see that Abram ends up taking some of his family with and a bunch of his stuff, uh, but he still travels out. And God had showed him the land. God brought him in the land, uh, began to speak to him out there, and Abram worshiped out there. But a point that I want to remember from an earlier message was that the list of blessings was greater than the list of stuff that Abram had to leave behind, but the list of blessing was better than the list of leaving that although God had called him out of all these things, God had better things in store for him. And again, Abram couldn't 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 get these things that God had promised unless he let go of the things that perhaps his own father has promised or his own desires had promised. And I ordered a couple books a couple weeks ago. One was a new devotional because I needed one. So I figure the end of January is a great time to start a new devotional. <laughs> you know, so January 1st. But uh, I got this new one from A.W. Tozer. Uh, it's new to me, uh, but it's called My Daily Pursuit. And from the 13th, it was yesterday. It says, when you have met God in the loneliness of your soul, and you and God come to the point where there's nobody else in the world, that is the passion we need for God today. That is the kind of love I need to have for God. I'll never be able to love other people in the world until I've mastered my love for God, a passion for God that nothing can division, that we need to get to God in the loneliest place in our life. In our heart, we need to have that alone time with Him, separate and away from everything else. And that's where this passion for God can flourish. And that's what we need. We don't need external or uh, things that are, this is good, corporate worship is good and it's great, but it should always reinforce or always lead us back to that place where it's just you. And God, and me and God. And I'm going to read some from uh, this book from Francis Chan, uh, Multiply It's About Making Disciples. And it says The disciples could not have fully understood what they were getting into when they responded to Jesus' call. Whatever expectations, doubts, whatever curiosity, excitement, or uncertainty they felt, nothing could have prepared them for what lay ahead. Everything about Jesus, his teaching, his compassion and wisdom, his life and death and resurrection, his power, authority, and calling would shape every aspect of their lives. And then I'm just going to read a, a page here just because I think it's good. I want you to hear it. But it says, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? As you will discover, the answer is fairly simple, but it changes your life completely. The word disciple refers to a student or apprentice. Disciples in Jesus' day would follow their rabbi, which means teacher, wherever he went learning from the rabbi's teaching and being trained to do as the rabbi did. Basically, a disciple is a follower, but only if we take the term follower literally. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is as simple as obeying his call to follow. When Jesus called his first disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus would take them or the impact it would have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took Jesus' call literally and began going everywhere he went and doing everything he did. It's impossible to be a disciple or follower of someone and not end up like that person. Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Luke 6.40. That's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him, carry on his ministry, and become like him in the process. I think it's awesome that we are carrying on Jesus' ministry. If we're a disciple of Jesus, we've picked up the torch from him, so to speak, and we're doing what he did, going where he went, and being who he was yet somehow many who have come to believe that a person can be a christian without being like christ a quote unquote follower who doesn't follow how does that make any sense many people in the church have decided to take on the name of christ and nothing else this would be like jesus walking up to those first disciples and saying hey would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way don't worry i don't actually care if you do anything uh i do or change your lifestyle at all I'm just looking for people who are willing to say they believe in me and call themselves Christians. Seriously? No one can really believe that this is all that it means to be a Christian. But then why do so many people live this way? It appears that we've lost sight of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The concept of being a disciple isn't difficult to understand, but it affects everything. I'm just going to read this question he has here. He says, up to this point in your life, would you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ? Why do you say that? Do you see evidence of your faith as described in Luke 6, 40? I want to share those because I think they're important. And I'm not saying that necessarily the churches we're involved with or the people we know or even ourselves are not a disciple. But I think it's important to remember that a disciple is one who follows. A disciple is one who goes after. And that your life is going to be completely changed. And I think that's great because I think it ties in perfectly with our study with Abram. Just like God called the disciples out, God called Abram out. He ended up having a completely different life almost overnight. One day he's there, the next day he's out in the middle of nowhere. In Luke uh, 14, 25 through 27, Jesus says, Now a great multitude, well, it says, Now a great multitude went with him. And Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And we all know that. We all know that scripture. And Jesus is saying hate your family, but he's saying that God needs to be the most important. That relative to God, in a sense, it's like you almost have to hate your family, you have to hate your friends. But he says you have to hate your own life, even more than all that. The desires for your own life. The desires that you've come up with, the desires that have others have come up with you, the desires that your parents have for you, although they're good, compared to what God has for you, you need to hate them, so to speak. Um, but for me, what stuck out to me, I think what perhaps me the Lord showed me when I uh, read that yesterday was that I always kind of took that when He said you cannot be my disciple as sort of almost a personal rejection. I almost heard it in like a harsh tone. You cannot be my disciple. And maybe I'm just hearing it differently for the first time, and maybe I'm not right. But I almost get the sense that that's not it. But that's more of a cannot. Like physically or spiritually, it's just impossible. Like If you don't hate your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, even your life, you cannot be my disciple. It's like if I want to look like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I cannot eat brownies all day. I cannot sit on the couch all night and watch YouTube. I have to eat 300 chicken breasts all day long. I have to work out. I have to go running. I have to do all these other things. It just cannot happen. I get the sense that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, it cannot happen unless you actually follow me. You cannot follow anyone else. You cannot take anyone else's advice, so to speak. And I'm not saying not get counsel and all these things. But when God tells us to do something, go somewhere, God tells you to get rid of something in your life or put something in your life, he owns you. He owns me. And we can't truly be a disciple unless we truly follow him. I think that was Abram's struggle for all those years. So how do I follow this call on, God's in my li- on God in my life? And yet, how do I balance my family, my friends, my own desires, my own flesh in a way? Let's go on. Let's see how Abram's doing as he goes out here in Genesis chapter 12. Um, it says in verse 9, so Abram journeyed. Going on towards the south. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, uh, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and I may live because of you. We'll stop there for now. It says that there was a famine in the land. I would say famine, hunger, there's no food. We see that in the Bible. Um, We haven't really experienced that here so much in in America today. I mean, there was the Great Depression uh, 80 years ago, 90 years ago. Uh, But God has blessed this land, and we haven't really uh, experienced the famine. We kind of get it. You know, inflation and other things happen in the economy. But I don't know that you or I ever have to have had to worry about there not being food on the table, at least as far as a, a global famine. Not that maybe you haven't struggled financially, but the store is always there. Someone has always got food. But that was not the case here. People didn't have food. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the headlines, but in Venezuela right now, I saw a headline this week. They've been in a famine for quite a while. And this is government produced, because their government has failed them. Socialism has failed them. And it says, starving Venezuelans beat cattle to death with rocks. So you're so hungry, you go break into someone's property and begin killing their cows just so you can take the food. Uh, there's empty supermarkets the, co- the economy is collapsed you know the, the newspaper or whatever the said that it was a collapsing economy I'm like this is not a collapsing economy this economy is done <laughs> no one's got food people are selling their children people are prostituting themselves they're doing all sorts of things just to get food there's riots there's lines there's no food it's tragedy but this is human cost this isn't so much human cost here you know uh, this is probably more natural causes. Uh, again, we'll see that later on in the scripture. We see Joseph and there's a famine that comes to Egypt. But in the scripture, God uses famine also to refer to not having God's word. You know, we're supposed to feed off of God's word. And when there's a famine in the land, it could also mean that there's no, there's a lack of God's word. Uh, I think it was in Josiah's day that the word of God was lost. It was found and they found it. They're like, oh, we found the Bible. It was like buried in the wall, you know. And they bring it out and they make everyone stand and they read the first five books together. Like, that's quite a while to stand. You know, that's more than an hour message. <laughs> but that's the word of God, not the word of someone else. But I know, I believe, and it's true that we need to have it read aloud to us. You know, I've heard that what was that guy Max whatever. Listen to the Bible, or read the Bible. It's great for the soul. You know, it really is just to hear. You know, sometimes I've been driving or just hanging out or sometimes. It's been like really late at night, and I was too tired to read, so I put on the, the, and that's my fault, but I put on the Bible and it would play. times, i walk in the room and all of a sudden starts playing on the app and I wake up the baby. But, <laughs> but it's good to hear the word of God. It's good to hear the word of God. To have it read to us, allowed to us, read by us, read for us, to others, in our homes, while we're in the car. You know, when I used to work in New Jersey or when I worked in Maryland, I'd have an hour commute or so and I'd be able to listen to Bible teaching both ways. And it was so important, so good. You know, there's times redeem the time. I don't do it all times. There are times I'm out in the garage and I'll put on a message or a time. I'm doing something else, cleaning, whatever, and I'll, I'll put a message on. I don't always do it, but it's good. I think I should do it more. I think we should do it more and have God's word uh, in our lives. But with that, is there a famine of God's word in your life? How are you in the word daily, weekly, monthly? hopefully weekly, at least. But it should be daily, even if it's just a couple of minutes. We need it. We need it. Is there a circumstance in your life that's causing you to have this famine? Is it a man-made circumstance, so to speak? I'm going through this. So, man, I don't really want to read the Bible today. I'm I'm, I'm bummed out. I'm down and out. And this happens to me from time to time. I just don't want to hear it. But it's not good. You know, then I think the Holy Spirit reminds me, well, when you're hungry, you eat, right? You don't say, I'm so hungry I don't want to eat. You know, Ashley and I got so hungry <laughs> last night and we had like cheeseburgers. So our schedule's all off and she's like, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> but they were delicious, I tell you. It was delicious. <laughs> but is there a famine in your heart? Even if you read God's word, has it gone in? Has it been planted? Has it grown up? Is it, is it a wellspring of life for you? Or is it just coming in and going out is it going by the wayside i hope not is there a famine in the church at large i think the church at large yeah there's a big famine there's a famine in this land you try and go find a church a lot of them are going to tell you whatever they think whatever their take on scripture is not going to read you the scripture as truth even if they do they'll read you a minute of it and then the rest of the service will be something else i can't say specifically but I know that there's churches out there that don't know God, that don't believe his word, and and that's a famine. Because if the church isn't teaching the Bible, if believers aren't reading and cultivating the crop of the scripture, who is? Who is? Certainly not the media. That's scary. But it says that this famine was severe. It was grievous. And the word uh, severe, it means heavy, great, massive, abundant, numerous, hard, difficult, Burdensome, very oppressive, numerous. A famine is no joke. Like I mentioned, the Great Depression. You know, another one is coming in Revelation 6.6. 6, it says, John says, And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. That, Man, there's going to come a time when people are going to have to work all day, all over the world, just to get a loaf of bread. But the rich people are like don't don't hurt the oil and wine, <laughs> you know. Don't touch that stuff. That's for us. That there's going to be a big divide. And I watched this video of this AI bot um, talking about the future, and uh, you know, it's hard to say whether it was scripted or whether it was actually the bot coming up with his own thoughts. There's a lot of debate on that. Um, but it mentioned, well, maybe AI can be useful in the future and redistributing the wealth and the resources and the food of the world. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what they're going to do in the future. They're going to figure out that oh, everyone does have to pay for just a loaf of bread, because there's going to be a famine. There's going to be disasters that happen. There's going to be all these other things that happen. People aren't going to have food. But without the word of God in our lives, when we have a famine of God's word in our lives, in our homes, our lives become all of these things. They become full of heavy, burdensome and oppressive things. I'm not saying bad things aren't going to happen to you. I'm saying when they do, you're going to get way down beyond belief. You're going to go hungry. You're going to start crawling through life. Uh, and with God's word, we can get through them. We can rise above them. Joseph had the, uh, God given the ability to interpret that dream, that warning that God gave them. And the God's word got them through that famine. But it says that during this famine, Abram went down to Egypt. That sounds pretty logical, right? You're kind of, you left your homeland. You're in the middle of a the wilderness. There's a sign that says, rest stop, 40 miles ahead, Egypt. There's no food. Let me go down to Egypt. I think that's pretty logical. We'll see Egypt in the future from here. You know, Joseph's Day, like I talked, like we talked about, um, there weren't handouts there, there were payments. But did God tell Abram to go down to Egypt? I don't remember seeing that. I don't, I don't see God telling him to go to Egypt. I say, go into a land that I will show you. Now maybe Abram was looking and he said, well, this is land God showed me, but there's nothing here. Supermarkets down in Egypt. I better go to Egypt. I don't know. Um, I don't see it in scripture it doesn't mean that maybe it wasn't necessarily God leading them but I think as we'll see maybe it wasn't you know is Egypt part of Israel's right inheritance no parts of it are if you cut off over here or by the Sinai or whatever and it says I know it says that Abram went down but I kind of get the feeling that the way it said is more kind of eh, but Abram went down to Egypt you know was he supposed to go down there? So, what happens? It looks like to me that Abram isn't relying on God's word here. That he begins to rely on himself or continues to rely on himself. That he took this step of faith, but that's the only step he took. He kept on walking. That even if it does seem like the best option, we'll see already why Egypt is not the best option for him. And it says as they're getting close to Egypt, that they're headed out of the boundary of God's promise to them. What does Abram do? He begins to get nervous. He begins to go start thinking and start talking to Sarai and going, oh, you got to tell him you're my you're my sister. You know, he begins to think, you know, we're leaving God's promised area. He Starts getting nervous as they get close to the border. And so they start setting up their story, his plan to protect himself and his wife. Kind of his wife, but really more himself. But isn't that what happens to us when we allow a physical famine to drive us into a spiritual famine? We end up walking right out of the place God had provided for us, and we lose peace. Um, we stop, we've stopped trusting God at this point, and we begin to head back towards the things that we know we can rely on, our own ways of scheming to save our own life. God says, I want you to go here, do this, be a part of this. As we walk into it, we don't see the provision we expected. We don't see it look the way we want. So we say, well, let's keep going. <laughs> Maybe God meant four miles instead of two. I don't know. But he says, indeed, Sarai... You're gorgeous, you know, Scripture says that it's his wife. So even if there was some partial familiar relationship uh, here, that that was that was past. She's his wife now. That that's the most important relationship we have. Above all else, Ashley's my wife. You know, at one point she was my one point I didn't know her. Another point I knew her, she was the daughter of somebody at church. And she's there with her brother. and I'll go say hi. And next minute, you know, she's my friend. And then she's, oh, she's my girlfriend. Now she's my fiance, but she's none of those things anymore. That's all past. She's my wife now. It's our relationship has is grown up into that. But as Abraham says to his wife that she's gorgeous, it's the truth. He's not just being a slick husband, buttering up his wife. We see that it's true that she's gorgeous. Now, hey babe, you're looking good today. You know, make me a sandwich. It wasn't like you know, it wasn't like how it works. (laughs) That's not how it works, right? (laughs) It's true. You're gorgeous, and I want. But no, sincerely, no. That's not what Abram's doing here. He's not being uh, uh, rude or crude to his wife. But Abram's afraid that they're going to kill him for her sake, that they're going to show up. They're going to go, wow, she's pretty. Someone else should marry her, not this guy. And they're going to kill him. And so he says, honey, tell them you're my sister, because they're going to take you either way. But at least I won't die this way, right? (laughs) Right? Eh?" You know, like, uh, I don't know how he said it. (laughs) I can picture the sitcom. We've been watching a lot of 90s sitcoms and, you know, you hear like the cheesy music. Yeah. You know, how is he saying it? You know, that they would kill him for his sake, give it to Pharaoh. You know, and the king, in a sense, can have anyone he wanted after all. You know, we see that that's David's struggle at one point. Um, you know, it's good to be the king. But I know my wife makes me feel like a king. See, I'm redeeming it, right? <laughs> but seriously, she makes me uh, feel like a king. And maybe I'm buttering her up. I don't know. But he says, therefore, he says, therefore, you're beautiful, therefore, Abram knows in his mind. He's worked all this out. He's had this whole camel ride here to think about this and to think about what's going to happen when they get into Egypt. He's beginning to, to figure out how dangerous it is. He says, there's no doubt about it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I think in a way, maybe we're seeing that Abram is making his own self-fulfilling prophecy here in a way. Because they do end up taking her, but we'll see that it's, it's not quite the way Abram had imagined. And I believe he's doing this because he's not really walking with god you know he's still young in his faith he's just stepped out you know he hasn't really lived a life of faith yet but he's gone too far here and i think that could be a warning for us to watch out to be careful not to get ahead of god when god calls us out yes, yeah, step out and go but don't take two steps when he says to take one especially when you're going somewhere you don't know take cautious steps take careful steps take timely steps because you don't want to outrun god because it's, it's worse on the other side, and you'll just have to come back anyway, um, as we'll see. He's assuming, and I think sometimes we assume, that God hasn't provided just because it doesn't look like the way we think it will look like. Don't take matters into your own hands. We shouldn't take matters into our own hands. But unfortunately, as we'll see, Abram and Sarai haven't quite learned that lesson yet. We know later with Isaac and Hagar, you know in ishmael they didn't quite learn the whole oh, we shouldn't take this into our hands just quite yet but it's going to happen it's got to happen because he's assuming it'll happen because it's going to happen because they'll do it because they can because of course he's going to a foreign land he's in need she's beautiful they're in charge they'll take her if she wants you know i don't think it's not necessarily an irrational fear um it's quite logical and in fact it's quite probable and in fact it does actually happen um and I think that that's part of the danger of putting ourselves into the hands of the world for our own personal safety or provision before God. Not that it's wrong to go to the world and get an insurance policy or go to the world and get a job to pay your bills, but make God your first priority. Make God the one that you're really putting your trust in and then allow Him to provide through these other things as necessary. But don't let these things become the place of God in our lives because, as we'll see, um, we're going to end up bowing down to them, giving them. You know, the government making all the decisions for you, opening up to people in ways that we shouldn't, being over dependent on anything other than God. God wants you to be over dependent, on Him. We go nuts with God. But on anyone else, it's going to cost you. There's this talk of a minimum income for everyone, that the government will magically give everyone a minimum income. First off, I wonder who's making the money if you're not. So it's really a redistribution of wealth. And secondly, if they are footing the bill, who are you going to vote for? It's bribery. If the government's putting money in your pocket, of course you're going to vote for the people who put the money in your pocket. Thirdly, if they're footing the bill, that makes you their property. Just like I take care of my kids, well, I feed you, I clothe you, you live in my house till you're 18. You know, it, my rules go. That's just the way it is. Um, they haven't quite challenged me on that yet, but <laughs> one day... But if they pay for everything as well, it's their choice what you get and what you don't. If the government pays for your food, well, I mean, more than just food stamps where you have kind of a choice. But if, let's say, they just say, they drop off a box of food at your door every day and they give you a check for this and that, they're choosing what you're gonna have, so it's not your choice. If they pay for your health care, well, they choose what you actually what you actually get. And I think that that's what Abram's danger is here. He's going down to Egypt and he's seeing that, man, whatever, hey, how's it going? No, it's OK. It's, uh... Usually it's a cafe on uh, Monday through Saturday. Hey, Robert. Oh, yeah. hey, cool. Oh, hey, oh, pay... hey. Oh, my goodness, <laughs> I found <tell> the book. <laughs> oh, no. We can... Yeah. No, no, no. But for Abram, he had gone to Egypt. And we're going to see that that gets him in trouble because he begins to trust in Pharaoh. And he's trying to do everything he can to save his life here. But again, if it's too good to be true, it's probably because it is. Um, But he says that they will say Abram knew ahead of time what these people are going to say in his mind. He knows what the Egyptians are going to do. Uh, But we'll see that even though they do what he thinks they will, it's really only because he wasn't honest. Um, And we'll see that Abram begins to barter with her beauty for her life, for his life. You know, it kind of makes it sound noble. Oh, they're going to they're going to kill me. Please save me. But he's really saying you're beautiful. I'm going to buy my own life and be able to get some food and live and get through this because you're beautiful. Thanks a lot, babe. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know. I wonder what her thinking at this point, you know, because she's getting a bit of a raw deal. You know, she loves her husband. How often does our do our wives get the raw deal? You know, they just have to put up with our garbage all the time. And I think a lot of excellent wives usually end up getting a lot of that just to make sure their man's OK. Oh, I got to take care of my husband. I got to make sure he's OK. And they end up getting the short end of the stick. Um, but I don't know. Maybe Sarai was stoked about getting the place to hook up. Oh, yeah, I get to leave this guy and go be, live in Pharaoh's house. I don't know. I think um, that trade off for her, unfortunately, a lot of people do make that trade off. They, th- they sell themselves, uh, whether it's in the media or whether it's, you know, they try and become fashion or whatever, or a movie, or even just in day to day life. People sell themselves to get ahead uh, more in one way. And I think that that's tragic as well. But I, I don't think that's Sarai's choice here. I think she's just kind of along for the ride. But man, the things that we sell ourselves for, the things that we sell our loved ones for, you know, you always hear about girls, little girls who go astray, often have a little or no relationship with their father. And that's not always the case. But I think that's so sad. And man, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to trade my children's lives for anything in this life. I don't want to, I want to work and I want to provide for them, but I never want it to get in the way of me being there for them as much as possible. I mean, obviously you can't always be that way. but. I don't want it to be when they get older that they didn't have a relationship with me, and then that causes them to go seek approval elsewhere, so to speak. We hear of uh, absentee fathers, the havoc that plays on kids. We've seen stuff that happens with divorce, but workah- workaholics, alcoholics, infidelity, it really hurts everyone, and most of all, it hurts the children. What really was gained? You know, uh, the Bible, the Proverbs talks about a guy who gets so rich, but at the end of his life, he's got, he's got nothing. Jesus talks about that. You know, we get one life, and that's it. And no matter how much time we have left, let's get it going on the right path. Let's get it going on the path that's going to bless our family, that's going to most bless them. You know, what's the way to most bless them is to live that life of faith. Because if I want my kids to live a life of faith, they need to see it in me. If I want my kids to have the best life for them, I need to be seeking God for the best life. And and not for the money or fame or any of that nature. But really, if God's calling me to go do something or go somewhere, that's the best place for them, even if it doesn't look like it is to be in the center of God's will. And and Abram wasn't quite ready for that yet. That's why he went to Egypt. We see that Abram is about to sell out. I remember growing up that, you know, your favorite band would get a deal or get big and get that hit, and you would be like, oh, they sold out. I can't listen to them anymore. They're sellouts, you know. It was like the worst thing you could ever think of. Um, And I think that Abram sold out here, you know, that he sold his wife out, as we'll see here in a minute. But if we're not bowing to God... We're going to bow down to someone else. If Abram wasn't listening to God, he was going to go and do whatever was necessary in Pharaoh's eyes to, to survive. And it's going to happen because there's really only two choices. That bowing might take different forms. Maybe you don't bow down physically, but you're going to bow down at work and give in or give in to a friend or a family member or whatever the case may be. And again i think they're afraid that they need other supplies other provision and again i don't think that these are illogical fears to think about or to worry about um, but he begins to lean back on his old ways to get what he thinks he needs. god said i'm gonna take care of you i'm gonna give you a land i'm gonna give you inheritance i'm gonna give you children i think all that goes along with that is is your daily provision as well you know i think when we're in trouble and we need finances for say it's good to go back on our old skills oh i used to do this or i was you know, I managed this in high school or I can do this with my hands. I haven't done this in a while. Let me see if I can make a job out of this. Maybe I can get a side job and, and, and do what I do as a hobby to make some extra money. I think those are good things to do when necessary and, that, and that's right. But it's not good to go back to our old ways to get about it because old skills are great, but old ways, eh, it's your fate, you know. Abrams going eh, Sarai, tell me you're my sister. Try and save us, you know. Conniving, you know, you're always gonna end up um, getting in trouble one way or the other. Let's go on. Let's read 14 through 17 here. It says, So it was was when Abram came into Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. Uh, But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues, because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So it says that they saw the woman. Again, the, the Bible uh, is not reinforcing the whole sister story here. It's just saying the woman. Um, and, uh, you know, again, Abram wanted to claim her as his sister. You know, it could have been half-truth, depending on how you read chapter 11. And back in their day, it wasn't really an issue with that. Um, but maybe she wasn't. Maybe it was just a story but either way, you know, it wasn't it wasn't wrong that they were married, but it was wrong for them to try and pass their marriage off as anything else. And it says, but but they saw the woman. Again, point that they're seeing this woman is is a woman with him and not his wife. They didn't see his wife and take her. The Egyptians didn't say, oh, this is somebody's wife. We're going to take someone else's wife. They saw a woman who they thought was eligible for Pharaoh. And so they took her and they commended her to Pharaoh. It's like, dude, check out this lady that just rode into the town. We're going to hook you up, Pharaoh. You know, friends always trying to set up friends. I don't know if you remember those days before being married. Uh, you know, watch out, because she might be someone else's wife. You know, the story of a friend trying to get me to think about liking someone and whatever. There's nothing wrong with her, but I was like, oh, I don't know. And I prayed about it, and God was like, no. You know, she's for so-and-so, like, clearly. And, you know, it turned out that that was true, and I'm thankful because I married the right woman. Point? Yeah. <laughs> But sincerely, people have again this whole idea of other people having ideas for you. Like you read about Jesus saying, you know, you've got to you've got to hate all these other things if you really want to follow me. We need to listen to what God's advice for us is first before we listen to anyone else's. And again, not that anyone else's advice is wrong, but God's is the most important. You know, uh, friends is trying to be the matchmaker all the time. Um, you know, if she rides into town with another dude, chances are she's with that other dude. You know. Don't just go trying to take her for yourself. I mean, if you're, everyone's married here, so you don't to worry about that. Maybe it's the old youth days coming out of me. But it says it's interesting that she's very beautiful. You know, that she's not the youngest lady at this time, but she must have been really gorgeous. Um, you know, just like my wife. You know, no matter how old I get, she'll still be the younger beauty because God hooked us up. But Sarai, remember her name means princess, right? This princess comes into town in the pumpkin, and she's taken to Pharaoh. She's taken to Pharaoh, but just to his house. It says she's not taken directly to Pharaoh at this time. I think it's interesting, uh, you know, whether she likes it or not, she's going to Pharaoh's house, that all these men are beginning to connive and scheme because of this one beautiful woman comes into town. I remember when Ashley came into town, it was like, you know, these guys just come out of the woodwork and start showing up and stuff. I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, they trying to talk to her. I'm like, no, I'm going to go start her car. <laughs> you know, but no matter what I did, it would have been it would have failed. But I got in my corner, thankfully. Um, but women, please use that influence for good. I think of John the Baptist. He lost his head because of a woman and her daughter's influence. But he says that he treated Abram well for her sake. This wasn't a bribe. You know, Pharaoh was in charge. Pharaoh could have just taken her, and today he's in charge. Eh, Abram never existed because Pharaoh showed up. But in a way, Pharaoh was an upstanding guy, even though he didn't know God. In a worldly sense, he said, hey, okay, I'll take, I'll take another wife, and I'll bless you for it. You know, he pays him. She wasn't really beautiful, you know. <laughs> this wasn't just a wedding. This was servants, people, animals. This was a big deal. In a way, he was sort of paying for her, but I don't necessarily think that it was like in the trashy sort of way he was paying for her. Uh, but if there's any way you could really pay for someone, that's not all trashy, right. you know? If <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, you know, if if you think your wife is high maintenance and an expensive date, I don't think you've given women and cattle <laughs> in payment for her. And and thankfully we have, I think we haven't. I couldn't afford that. <laughs> but would you really want to? You know, there's plenty of non-princesses out there who are princesses in the inner woman. And I think that we've all. Found that to be true, another point. Yeah. <laughs> but it says, "But the Lord, you know that God came through, that even though Abram, out of his fear and out of his lack of faith, he connived, and these Egyptians, in their worldly ways, took this other woman and paid for an to add to, to Pharaoh's list of women. Um, God comes through. that Abram, even though he took Sarai out of the safe zone, um, God is still there. God is still watching over them. God is still gracious to let them go only so far, because God knew that Sarai was going to be the one to bear Isaac, who would bear Israel, who would later bear Jesus. And God's not going to have any of that, you know, they get between a marriage. Uh, Mark 10, 9 says, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And we don't want to be the one to separate anyone's marriage, especially our own, but we don't want to get involved in things that separate. Whenever there's friends who have trouble, try and draw their marriage back together, and it's Godly way as possible. Give them the best godly options, the best biblical options. You know, if all else fails, you know, there are certain outs that you can counsel. But sincerely, um, don't be the one to get between because God will plague you. And I don't want to be plagued by that because marriage is important to Him. But it says plagued, touched, stricken with disease. And I thought, well, was it the flu? Was it something, you know, related to intimacy? And so I looked up the word, and the root of the word is actually related to intimacy. So I have to wonder if, in Pharaoh's harem, and Sarai shows up, did God say and strike them all down in that way that Pharaoh would not want anything to do with it that way, just to make sure? I think God was trying to prove a point to them. Um, you know what? Pharaoh listened. Abram wasn't listening, but this unbelieving ruler of a, of a nation listened. You know, if your life is beginning to blow up, so to speak, if you know that little thing that you've collected begins to get sick uh, maybe God is warning you maybe He's showing you something maybe your investments begin to to go south or something I don't know what it is but maybe God is trying to show you that maybe there's something in there that shouldn't be in there let's go on here in verse 18 through 20 says uh, and Pharaoh called Abram and said what is this you have done to me why did you not tell me that she was your wife why did you say she is my sister I might have taken her as my wife now therefore here is your wife take her and go your way so Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So why didn't you tell me? I think it's interesting Abram has this relationship with Pharaoh, the leader of this nation. I mean, I don't really know how big Egypt was, but it was probably still pretty powerful at this time. He had an audience with him. You know, that shows that maybe Pharaoh maybe knew who Abram was or where he was coming from, and there was this whole idea of, oh, Abram's Abram's a diplomat. But I think in a way Farrah was like, dude, the bro code, why didn't you tell me? Seriously, why did you tell me she was your wife? Like, why did you hide this from me? You know, I don't want your wife. I got enough of my own. I don't need yours. That should be all of our attitude. We have one <laughs> we don't need it anymore, right? But Pharaoh was mad and I think rightly so. I know rightly so. He's like, what have you done to me? My whole household is now in trouble because you let this you let me do this. Why did you let me do this? I think it's interesting that Pharaoh didn't blame God for the circumstance. Pharaoh doesn't come and says, your God is cursing me, Abram. He knew Abram was at fault. Remember Jonah getting cast overboard. It was their fault. It was his fault that all these guys were in the storm. You know, now he couldn't trust Abram. Perhaps they had some relationship. I mean, obviously they did, but he couldn't trust him. And you think with Pharaoh's power in his day, he crosses Pharaoh and brings a curse on Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh would just off him. I mean, you think if you get away with it, you probably would, Right. But he doesn't. Because again, I think in this way, a pharaoh, as far as an ungodly person, is a stand-up guy. He's a stand-up guy. And I think it's a tragedy when we as believers who are supposed to have the best morals, who are supposed to be doing the right thing, don't. And the world who doesn't necessarily always care about the right thing does it. That's a rebuke to us. And that's a bad witness to them, that burns them. You wonder why people don't come to Jesus, don't come to church, don't come to faith, is because they go, I'm a pretty moral guy, I'm a pretty good guy, and the Christians I know, they're cheating on their taxes, they're lying, they're doing whatever in their homes. I mean, look at the country today, and you just look at the statistics in the church, and you go, it's no wonder people don't come to faith, because the people who are supposed to be of faith don't have any, they don't live like it. And that's sad more than sad. but sometimes the world does get things right even when we don't um and i think that that's severe that's grievous like i said it's massive abundant numerous hard difficult burdensome and oppressive like that famine And you have to wonder maybe that's why there's a famine of the word of god in the land because everyone who's shared the word of god has been hypocritical about it and doesn't that burn a bridge with pharaoh he's like guys get him out of here don't hurt him but take him out of town give him his stuff back give him his wife back Um, you know, but even with the good morals, they didn't save Pharaoh. And unfortunately, um, Abram wasn't the guy to, uh, to share with him, you know, but again, how good was Pharaoh's morals really? If he's got all this other stuff going on, he's paying for people. Uh, but Abram made a payment for protection and he traded his wife for some cattle. Maybe that wasn't his intended motive or move, but that's what happened. And I think a lot of times when we get ourselves into situations like this, we can and scheme to kind of get our way. That's what ends up happening. We end up trading our family, our friends, the things that are important to us for just stuff. Just stuff. And that's, that's sad. You know, that's, We don't mean to. We just want to provide better for our children. We want to give them a life we never had. But then we end up working all the time. And, and yeah, they have stuff, but they don't have what's most important. And I have to wonder here, as we're getting to close, did Abram even expect to get her back after the famine. I think maybe, I don't know, I always take it for granted when I see this area of scripture because she does come back. We know the end of the story. But going in there, was Abram just like, see you later, Sarai. You know? Like, you're one of Pharaoh's ladies now. Like, it's nice knowing you. Thanks for letting me live. Like, what really was going on? That uh, seems a little shady to me. And I have to wonder what their relationship was like when they got back on the camels and they started heading down to Egypt. What kind of famine was there there? Have you ever been in a fight with your spouse and you're in the car? And it's like, you know, I've never had that. I've never (laughs) never done that. But sincerely, (laughs) we know it. That's true. Almost done, sweetheart. I think there was a famine in their relationship for him to even suggest that. I mean, how would you feel if we were driving in a rough neighborhood late at night and it looked like we were about to get carjacked and I said, babe, just get out. (laughs) You know? Well, see, Lot ends up kind of doing that later on in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? What would our relationship be like when the, when the mob of kids don't beat her up and they say, we wouldn't have taken her. Get back in the car. Get out of here. <laughs> They're talking about icy laser beams, you know? And rightfully so. I, I don't think, I think Sarai, maybe in her right mind, would have said, I'm going to wait for the bus. <laughs> Sorry, Abram, I don't need you anymore. But what a barren relationship. It started out with a barren relationship with God. He didn't trust God to come through in the wilderness. Then it became a barren relationship with his wife because, well, maybe they didn't, have the, they didn't cultivate the relationship. And how important it is for us to cultivate our relationships with, with our wives, with our employees, with our coworkers, with our bosses, with just anyone that we, that we encounter, we should cultivate a good relationship with them. that There might be fruit there that God might do a work there. They might not be burned, but they would be blessed. And we just see, even though there was a bunch of physical blessing given by Pharaoh to Abram, I don't, it was tainted, and, and there's more burn here. You know, Abram almost made Pharaoh sin. That's worse than just being a bad witness, but he caused Pharaoh to stumble here. Pharaoh almost did something against his own moral code that he didn't want to do because Abram lied to him. But those who see the hand of God and listen and mentally believe but won't bow the knee you know like pharaoh pharaoh knew all the right things to do but he still didn't he wouldn't bow the knee and maybe this situation maybe if they would come in there in different cir- circumstances it could have it could have been you know I listen to a couple guys on YouTube one's a philosopher and he, a couple of them are and I don't agree with everything they say but they see a lot of truth they see a lot of logic they break things down and they understand it And they even see the persecution of Christianity and how the world just hates Christians and and the things of the Bible. But they themselves will believe. And I think a lot of it is because they've been burned by something. And one of them, I I know they've been burned by it. And the other one, I think he just loves living his morally corrupt life. But they still see the truth, and I think that's interesting. Um, But again, tell me that God wasn't working among the Egyptians at this point. That Pharaoh was willing to do the right thing. I think God's working there. We see it later, too, because God's not done with them. But ultimately, Abram is sent away, still with what he had. You know, he didn't lose out like he thought he was going to do. Hey, uh, the Egyptians treated him too well. Are you here for the baseball? Yeah. Okay, cool. Sorry. No, sorry. Double books. <laughs> sorry about that. We'll be done in a second. So sorry, guys. It's all good. No, don't, not your fault. Uh, but, uh, he's back to where he was supposed to be. He went to Egypt to get provision, and what does he do? <laughs> he kind of gets a little bit. He kind of gets a goodie bag, but. He's back to the wilderness again, where he's supposed to be with his tail between his legs. And again, think about it, Sarai's look that whole trip. He's like, man, I never should have come here. <laughs> Things definitely are not good now. He was in trouble. Again, that, that sitcom, you know, they go to commercial break and, you know, they pause in that freeze frame. <laughs> hey, but I think it's, it's great that it shows us that God is still gracious to get us back on track, even when we screw up royally in our relationships and in our, our walk. But unfortunately, there's always a price to be paid for that selling out. Abram sold out his price paid. He didn't have a relationship with Egypt. You know maybe things would have been different with the Egyptians and Israelites, I don't know. Things with his wife. I don't know how long it took them to work that out. Uh, they certainly had time. But we see that Abram and Sarai patch it up, and God uses their relationship to make a picture of Jesus. we talked about the birth of Isaac and the birth of a nation that out of their barren lives, God later blesses, and God uses their barren lives to then bring. miracle and bring a nation so whatever the famine that you're in whether it's physical spiritual emotional God will provide in it if God's led you there God will provide for you there don't sell out don't stop short but on the other, other side don't go too far we really need to stay or go where God wants us to be because that's where he wants us to be if God wants us to be there he wants good for us there he wants to be with us there he wants to bless us there and when we're in the middle of a barren world a barren famine wait there wait for god to show up because when he does show up he's going to bring a feast amen Amen. god we love you we thank you for loving us and for showing up and god we pray that you would just uh uh, bless the baseball meeting bless their teams and the relationships there the kids and uh, the coaches and whatever's going on god we thank you for this time here together in the cafe but God, help us to, to live with you and to walk with you. and God, wherever you call us to go and to be a part of or whatever situation we're in, God, we know that you want to be there with us. So God, let us wait for you and not go ahead. And, and God, use us to bless others and not to burn them and not to lead them away from you, but to show them that, God, you are good and you do provide. And uh, God, we thank you for that. Thank you for your son, Jesus. God, uh, just bless this day. We ask in your name. Come soon, we pray. Amen.